are you guys? Good? Yeah. Sweet. Uh, whether you are here in person, online, I'm really happy to be here. Um, I feel like we all have something we can't live without, um, whether that's sports, whether that's a video game, a TV show, maybe it's a person. I feel like that's something we can all kind of relate to. And I'm going to tell you a story, and it's a little bit of an embarrassing story. Um, it's about my kindergarten year, and I had something that I could not live without. So in kindergarten, we were learning how to read. And there was a cart of books in the middle of the classroom, and on Mondays, we would grab a book from the cart, and we'd bring it home. We would practice reading it, but in actuality, our parents would read it to us because we didn't know how to read. And it was just good practice learning, you know, how do we do this? And there was this one magazine on the cart called NFL Game Time. And I was obsessed with this magazine. I, I didn't like reading. And there were really cool pictures in this magazine. There were action shots, and my parents would tell me whatever they were, but it didn't matter because it was cool. And I loved this magazine so much. But here's the problem. There was a rule. And the rule was you could only take a book home one week at a time. You had to leave a gap week in between so that other kids could read the, read the book. It makes sense. I get it. But I loved NFL game time. I wanted to bring it home every week instead of every other week. But the good news was... I have a twin brother. <laughs> and my twin brother was in class with me. And so on week one, I'd bring it home. On week two, Caleb would bring it home. On week three, I would bring it home, because it's my week again. And then on week four, my brother would bring it home. And every single week, the entire kindergarten year, we brought home NFL game time. And the teacher didn't notice, or she didn't care. My parents cared. But they couldn't do anything about it. They begged us to stop. But we didn't. We could not live without NFL game time. To a point where I still remember it. I tried to find it. I can't. But I still remember every picture, every action shot. Like, this was the thing. Now, this past month, we've been talking through the book of Daniel. And one of the things Daniel couldn't live without was God. And I know that that's a very cheesy transition, but I'm in youth ministry, so it's okay. But if we really think about Daniel, his story, like, we'll start to see that, like, yeah, this is true. He couldn't live without God. He's in exile. He is in a culture that is often antagonistic to his own, a culture with kings and with idols that are constantly asking for his devotion. And so he needs God. He needs God to be with him, and he needs to be devoted to him so that he can stay with God. Now, in week one, Pastor Ashish told us the story of Daniel and the food and how he and his friends ate only vegetables and water, and they were actually healthier and stronger than the rest of the Babylonians because they did it with God, and they were devoted to God. In week two, Pastor Michael Binder talked about the story of Daniel having the courage to go and tell the king what his dreams meant, despite knowing that he might die, because he had courage found in God, because he was devoted to God. In week three, Pastor Donna talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Rakshak and Benny, and how they were going to be put into the furnace for their obedience and faithfulness to God, but they remained devoted, and through that, they were delivered from the furnace. And so this week... We're going to be going through one of the most popular stories in the book of Daniel, uh, Daniel and the Lion's Den. And so, some background, we are right now in, the, in, the kingdom of Israel is in exile, right? They're first in Babylonian 
the Babylonian Empire with King Nebuchadnezzar, and that empire has fallen. As we saw last week with JD, Babylon is done, and we have a new empire, and that's the Persian Empire with King Darius. And Daniel and his friends are still in exile, and it honestly probably felt a little like COVID, right? Like, first we had Delta, and then there's Omicron, and there's just variant after variant after variant. And likewise, there's Babylon, and now there's Persia, and there's just exile doesn't seem to be ending and is probably very frustrated. And so what we'll see is that in the face of these hardships and, and when it would be really easy for Daniel to give up, he doesn't. Daniel's hope inspires devotion to God. And that's kind of the big idea of my sermon is that hope inspires devotion. And so with that in mind, we are going to turn to Daniel chapter 6, um, and I will read the first nine verses. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. All right, so I don't know about you guys, but when I was studying this passage, I didn't know what a satrap was. That's a big word. And so I did what any normal person would do, and I Googled it. And a satrap is essentially... A mayor. You can think of it as like a governor of a town. And so Darius appoints 120 of these with three advisors, and Daniel is one of these advisors. He's overseeing the kingdom with, with another three. And Daniel up to this point has been trustworthy and reliable. He's a good guy. He's kind of what you would think of as a good employee. Like he pleases his boss, which is the king, because he's really reliable, he's trustworthy, he gets his work done, and he does it well. And so he gets favor with the king, and the satraps, the other advisors, are upset about this because, you know, he's the, he's the favorite. And Daniel didn't do anything wrong here. He actually was doing everything right, and he was actually doing everything right, not just for Darius, but for God as well. You know, like I said, the Israelites are in exile, and they're in this foreign kingdom, and Daniel is doing an excellent job of living in this foreign kingdom, but not of it. In other words, Daniel is obedient to his king, but he's devoted to God. And that's important. That's an important distinction. Because while he might obey Darius to a certain extent, he's going to remain devoted to God and he won't do anything to forsake him. He knew that he could trust in God and that hope inspired his devotion. 
And so because Daniel was so great and he was awesome and the king loved him, the king planned to set him above everybody else, the other advisors, the other satraps, and this made them very upset. They were not happy about this. And so they got together and they had a conversation and this conversation may have looked a little something like this. Again, I'm in youth ministry, and so far everybody has referenced VeggieTales, so thank you. I had to. <laughs> All right, so maybe it didn't look quite like that. Um, but like I, like, like I said, Daniel was reliable, and so they knew that they had to get him on grounds of his religion. Like, he hadn't done anything wrong. He was trustworthy. He was not corrupt. And so they made a plan, and their plan was that because they knew that he would only worship Yahweh, um, they had to get him to disobey the king by worshiping Yahweh, by, by following his God. And so Darius, you know, they stroked his ego a little bit, and they convinced him to create this decree that made him the only person, the only thing that could be worshipped for 30 days. And they knew that Daniel couldn't resist. He was devoted to God. He wouldn't worship Darius. And so they knew that if they got Darius to make this a execution-worthy offense, they could get rid of Daniel, and then the king's favorite would be gone. And so we'll read chapter uh, 6, 10 through 18, and we will see what happened. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asked God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you. O king, or to the decree that you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persian, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel, and they threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep.
So Daniel is in the lion's den, and the king is in great distress. You know, he, he loved Daniel. Daniel was his favorite, and he knew that he couldn't legally change the law. But we see that Daniel, he's devoted to God, and his courage here, like he knows that praying to God is going to get him killed, but he still does that. And Darius is stuck in this position of making Daniel go into the lion's den. And he hopes that Daniel's God, that Yahweh would save him, and that Daniel's devotion would pay off. And so we'll continue reading, and we'll kind of see. You all probably know this isn't where the story ends. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted out of the den, no wound was found him because he had trusted God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they each reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all of their bones. That's a bummer. This story is well known for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, Daniel in the lion's den is, is a big part because, you know, the lion's mouths remained closed. They did not kill Daniel. Daniel remained devoted to God because he knew that God alone was the only one who could save him and that worshiping King Darius would not get him anything. In fact, it would do the opposite. Daniel was devoted not just to any God, but he was devoted to Yahweh, the one who is worthy to be worshipped. And God, throughout this story, shows us that he is present and he provides. God provides and is present back in the Old Testament with Daniel, but he's also present and he provides today as well. The story doesn't end here, however, and I'm going to read the last few verses, which I think is the most powerful part of this story. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of the kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Isn't that powerful? I I feel like a lot of people overlook these verses because we're so busy looking at the lions then. You know, God saved Daniel from certain death, which is powerful. But look at what God did in the heart of a narcissistic king. That heart change, to me, feels more powerful than anything else in this story, and it's because Daniel remains devoted to God. Sure, God saved Daniel, which is huge, and that's a big point of the story, but he also revealed himself to Darius through Daniel's devotion, and that's the power of remaining devoted to God. Daniel was devoted no matter the circumstances that he found himself 
And some of his prayers were answered. You know, the food that Ashish talked about, that prayer was answered. The dreams being revealed to him, that was an answered prayer. Rakshak and Benny being in the fiery furnace and not dying, that's an answered prayer. And even this, the lion's den, that's an answered prayer. But not all of Daniel's prayers were answered the way he wanted them to be. You know, he's still stuck in exile. He's not a free man. And that's probably something he was praying. And as Babylon fell, he was probably hoping that, yeah, maybe my prayer for freedom is finally answered. But it wasn't. Now there's the Persian Empire. And so how can we remain devoted to God despite hard circumstances when our prayers aren't answered the way that we want them to be? You know, we live in a world that is constantly asking for our devotion. You know, outside of NFL game time, there are other things that people can't live without. Public figures, politics, personal agendas, public figures. There are people, there are things everywhere constantly asking for our devotion. And so in a world full of idols, how do we remain devoted to God? And the answer to do that is to do exactly what Daniel did, and that's to pray. Prayer is powerful, and when we find ourselves in chaotic and painful spaces, prayer is one of our best tools to point us in the middle of that chaos to God's peace and reminds us that he is with us. Life is hard, and so I'm going to tell you a story. Some of you know that when I was 15, I was in the hospital for a while. And if you didn't know that, when I was 15, I was in the hospital for a while. And the full story of that, including my tattoo, um, is a story for a different day. Clearly, I'm alive, so whole thing. Um, but basically what happened is I was diagnosed with a viral-induced myocarditis, which essentially means that there were four viruses that attacked my heart at the same time. And there was one night in particular where it didn't look so good. The doctors pulled my mom aside. My mom was with me at the hospital, and they told her, hey, you need to call dad and get him here so that he can, he can say goodbye. And so my mom calls my dad and says, hey, you need to get to the hospital so you can say goodbye to Micah. And I can't imagine, you know, getting that call at 3 in the morning, you know, your son might not make it, and you have to go to the hospital to say goodbye. But then I also can't imagine getting that call and knowing you have to drive 35 minutes not knowing if you're going to make it in time to say goodbye. And so my dad, you know, he's scared. It's an impossible situation. So he gets in the car, and he does what he calls strategic driving, which is speeding. And <laughs> he speeds his way to the hospital, and, you know, he's alone with God for half an hour. And so instead of turning to the radio, instead of trying to calm himself down with a podcast, instead of turning to people, the first thing he does is pray. And he doesn't know if I'm going to make it. He doesn't know if he's going to make it in time, but he prays. And he's honest with his prayer. He, doesn't, he, does, he knows that he doesn't have to fake it with God. He can bring his emotions and that rawness, and he can bring that to God. And as he does this, he gets a sense of peace. He isn't told that I'm going to survive. He isn't told that I'm going to be alive tomorrow. But he is told that it's all going to be okay. And he has this sense of peace because he, he prayed. So what does this look like for you? Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe it's your kid that's sick in the hospital. Or maybe with COVID lasting as long as it has, 
you just feel isolated and alone. So what should you do? It might be easy for us to turn to worldly sources of comfort, but God offers us so much more. We have hope in a mighty God, a God who rescues people from lions, a God who comforts the brokenhearted, a God who heals our wounds, and a God who loves us, who loves you very much. So today, I invite you in the midst of these trials, in the midst of these tribulations, in a world that seems so bent on destroying itself, to have hope and to remain devoted to God. We're going to do something a little different right now. Um, I was chatting with a good friend of mine, and he said that when we pray, our posture is a very big part of it, and it can really change how we experience God. And when we have our hands out like this, we're not just receiving what God has, but we're also surrendering the things that we can't control to him. And so today, I want you to practice this. We're going to take a moment, and it's going to be silent. And I know that might be uncomfortable. But I want you to think, what is the thing that I need to give up? And hold your hands out like this. And then with your neighbor, if you feel comfortable, pray for each other. And you can pray for this thing that you're holding. You can also be as simple as pray that I have a good week. It doesn't have to be super personal. But I invite you for the next minute or so to pray with one another and practice surrendering everything to God. I'm going to pray for us in a second, um, but before I do that, um, if there's one thing I want you to take away from today, it's that we serve a God that is worthy of our devotion, and I know that life can seem hard and chaotic, and there are times where it feels like he's not even there, but even if our prayers aren't answered in the way that we want it to, He's still there, and those prayers are still being answered and can be used. Uh, there's a song that we've sung throughout this series um, called There's Another in the Fire, and that's about Rackshack and Benny and their story. And I think it's beautiful because the chorus slightly changes each time we sing it. The first time it says, there was another in the fire because God was with you in the past. And then the second chorus is, there is another in the fire. God is still with you. And then in the last chorus, it says, there will be another in the fire. And it really shows us that God is 
with us in the past, in the present, and in the future. And that's true. And I know right now, with the world being the way that it is, it might not seem like God is with you, but I promise you that he is with you in the fire and that he loves you so very much. And so as you go through the rest of your week, I pray that you would remember that and then that would inspire you to keep praying and to keep being devoted to God, even when it's hard. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for everybody in this room. You love them very dearly, and they are not alone. I pray that you would bless them as they go through their week, that you would comfort them, and that you would give them the peace that only you can bring. I pray that you would show them that you love them and that others love them, that they are cared for, and that in the midst of trials, in the midst of tribulations, when it seems like all hope is gone, they still have hope in you. I pray these things in your mighty name. Amen.